Welcome to the Mindfuckery podcast, which is featured in Feedspot's Top 20 Emotional Abuse Podcasts. I'm your host, Elizabeth. In here, we explore areas that others fear to tread. We talk about the mindfuck that was your life, and we talk honestly about what happened, because beautiful soul, these honest conversations are key to creating the life you were born to live. I wrote my first book, Finding Lily, sat on a beach in Greece, as my marriage was crumbling around me. My second book, The A to Z of Emotional Abuse, followed as I discovered a new language, words and phrases that I had no idea existed and I realized had been my reality. My third book, Divorce Matters, has been written to support you through this process. It's an important part. You can get the clothes you need, heal the emotional wounds, and because your divorce matters are important as well, getting all the information, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, you can start to create a life you deserve to live. I'm founder of the Divorce Sanctuary and Wound Talking. I've been a woundologist for over 20 years, working with past life wounds, clearing ancestral trauma and working with this life wounding. And I'm on a mission to help educate as many people as I can on the effects of trauma on our lives and our children's lives and healing the wounds of our fathers. It stops here, it stops now and it stops with us. So welcome along for the journey of a lifetime. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the second season of the Mindfuckery podcast with my new intro and I'm going to talk about the wounds of our fathers as I mentioned in the intro. This is really about the ancestral wounds. Actually going to combine it because I've got a TikTok video. Although I put it on YouTube about three years ago, I uh, cut it down. Somebody cut it down and put it on Instagram and then tagged me. And I thought I wasn't able to download that. So I hacked it up myself and I've put it on YouTube. And no, I didn't. I put it on TikTok. And within a few days, there it was up to like 15 or 20. I think it's up to 40,000 now. So it is a subject. Everyone said, I relate to this. This was my version of reality. This was my life. And so I'm going to talk about narcissistic mothers and their daughters and the ancestral wounding and the wounding that if we don't stop it, actually we take forward and we hand over like a gift to our own children. Emotional wounds are like physical wounds, only you can't see them. You possibly don't even know that you're wandering around with them and some will affect us for most of our life if we don't do anything about it, perhaps all our lives. It might be that the people that you grew up with had their own set of wounds that they were given and this is what ancestral wounding is. It's like a wounding that carries on through the generations passed down. It might be that somebody's experienced something and they then go on to stop everyone experiencing the same thing, limiting how they perceive life, how they go through life, what their experience is. When I was started doing ancestral healing, probably about 10 years ago, might have been longer, and 
what was happening was I was actually going back so many generations and that might have been a trauma or it might have been something that somebody'd experienced or they'd said like like a spell or a curse not in that witchy moment but in a way that is limiting because our words are so powerful I've I've recorded a few YouTube videos on the power of words And I'll find them and link them in the notes. Somebody else's experience and their fear can be given to another person and limits that person's life. And the video that went viral was called um, Scapegoating. And for the purpose of that video, I said I'm using the example of the narcissistic mother and the daughter And there were a few men that came forward and said, this is my experience. There were a few people that said, I experienced this with my father. The majority came forward and said, my mother was narcissistic or this was my experience. I've always been a person that said, look, you know, I don't know whether someone's narcissistic or not. I'm not able to diagnose that. So I always use emotional abuse. It's like somebody saying, you're taking one of those multiple choice questions to find out whether, say, your parents are narcissistic or abusive. I've got one on my website for knowing if you're still trauma bonded and you've got multiple choice. And some of those choices, your answer might sit somewhere in the middle. You know, it's like, what color is this? And you might be looking at going, well, actually it looks more purple and your options are blue and red, you know, and you go, well, is it more blue purple or is it more red purple? It doesn't quite fit. So I think, is it healthy to know that? It's healthy to know that perhaps you didn't have or experience good enough parenting, let's put it that way, growing up. It might be that you can see that you weren't in an environment that supported you emotionally or physically, maybe you didn't feel safe. But being able to do something with that information. When I started wound working, working with wounds as a woundologist in 2002, I was working in an area of past, working with past lives. And the person that I was training with said that the reason she'd created the course in the way it was created was because she saw so many people go and experience past life regression and then come out of it more traumatized than they went in it. So she wrote a course that would support the whole process. As you came out of it, the wounding that came up, we were able to remove. And it's one of the techniques that I use today with this life wounding. The scapegoat is one of two kid goats. Uh, One is sacrificed and the other, all the sins and impurities are laid upon it. In, it's then released into the wilderness and it takes with it the sins of the tribe. And when I was describing this scenario, so the scapegoated child within a family unit is the one that gets blamed for everything. In some family units, that scapegoat is um, is moved around. It creates maybe competition or it, um, it might not be a health environment. It might be that the children get together realising what's happening and support each other. But it also might work the other way where the children know that they can get away with whatever if one person is going to be blamed. So they can do anything and they're not going to get blamed. So and it, it and it's describing the mother's role within that unit and how she's striving for this perfect family. However, the daughter can't be too perfect because she is 
is then in competition with the mother. And that's a really interesting part of the dynamic. So the family unit needs to look perfect, but the daughter can only be so perfect. She can't take away anything from the mother and the attention that the mother gets. So if you think about it from a point of view where perhaps the daughter's got a father that dotes on her, it's going to create jealousy or grandparents that are really involved in her life. Again, it's going to create something where it invalidates or the mother's vulnerabilities will show. The mother has to be involved in every area of her child's life, controlling it because she's managing and she sees her daughter as an extension of herself. Her aim is not to allow her children to develop develop their own personalities. That's all controlled. It's all managed. They're not allowed to be individual. They're not allowed to explore who they really are. And if this daughter rises up and she shines, she's taking away that attention from her mother. And the narcissistic mother might be the one, might be living her life through her daughter. Equally, it does work with boys. But this is a really, I haven't got no other word, but interesting dynamic. You've got somebody who wants to control everything and is the expectations that are put on the children or the daughter are really high, but they have to be managed so that that daughter has no idea how powerful she is, how beautiful she is. She won't be told that. She'll be criticized for everything. And in a way, the mother is competing with her daughter. And that's where the daughter receives mixed messages, confusion. She's expected to be the good girl, which is conditional on the terms that she doesn't take anything away from her mother. She doesn't take any attention away. And she's envious of her children she's envious of her daughter so whether it's academically or whether it's something that the child is really good at it might be that she is beautiful it might be the career that she chooses or it might be the partner that she chooses and the mother can be cruel and sarcastic towards her daughter's successes undermine any achievements and she's really envious she then plays the victim bringing the attention back to her, wishing she had the same opportunities, she was able to do the same things. The daughter lives her life walking on eggshells and she's not really sure who her mother is. And one minute she's receiving praise and the next she's experiencing jealousy. She's experiencing criticism and rage. The mother is supposed to be a role model for the daughter. But what the daughter's experiencing is inconsistent parenting, which stunts her perhaps emotionally. And she's not shown unconditional love. The love she experiences, if it is in fact love, is conditional. And she wait, she grows up with a very low or no self-esteem. And her relationships usually mirror what she's understood growing up usually ending up in abusive relationships, repeating the patterns, repeating what she's experienced growing up, not valuing who she is and believing that she isn't actually lovable. She might have even heard that, you know, who's going to love you? The narcissistic or the emotionally abusive mother holds the power. She continues to taunt and critique her daughter. Perhaps she should be wearing more makeup, look better with makeup. Don't pull your hair behind your ears or I like that color on you. However, I don't like the style and the cut of the dress. You know, the the backhanded compliments. 
Yeah, I like the colour of your hair. It's always been beautiful, but don't wear it like that. It looks ugly. It's those sort of comments, you know, what, what you, you're not going out in that colour lipstick, are you? Do you not have any respect for yourself wearing whatever it is that you're wearing? I wish I could have been a better mother. I wish I could have been the mother that you are towards your children. Having conversations, honest conversations with yourself, whether you're male or female, whether this was your reality growing up, and it came from your mother or your father. These words land like wounds. It's like being kicked or punched or thumped or pushed. These are bruises, cuts that lodge in your body. And one of the honest ways that you can deal with this is by sitting down and listening to the statement. When you start to berate, when you start to put yourself down, and this can come from partners, but the original, this is the original wounding. This is where it came from. Now, we can step back and say, okay, what was my mother's experience growing up? What was my father's experience growing up? Did they have the support of their family network and this is how we get into the ancestral wounding perhaps they've experienced that perhaps they turn around and say a parent turns around and says to you you know i'm trying to remember what the program was i think it was friends and monica's mother is criticizing her and then saying that she her mother wasn't supportive towards her as supportive as she is being towards monica not realizing that she's actually repeating what she heard and this is the crucial seven to eight years this is where we hear it all we what we hear what we see what we feel because our energy and the emotions around the people that surround us are really important what happens in those seven to eight years is the grounding it's the foundation of who we are if we're supported and nourished and nurtured and all the words we hear are positive our experience is going to be completely different from the child next door who is experiencing criticism, put-downs, sarcasm, nasty, angry outbursts. Somebody comes out of their childhood with healthy self-esteem and another person comes out with no or low self-esteem. So having these honest conversations to me is actually key to healing. It's, it literally is the foundation. Of, uh, everything should be based on challenging what we've heard. So it might be that you've come out of an abusive relationship. How did you get into that abusive relationship in the first place? How do some people get into abusive relationships and others don't? It's simple. How did you not leave that abusive relationship? because you thought that was normal behavior. What you experience in childhood, you don't know any different. You think that everybody is experiencing the same thing. You probably don't even think about it, but you wouldn't think, well, this is unhealthy. You shouldn't be saying that to me. You might just live in pain or live in fear of actually showing who you are. You might live in fear of saying something and experiencing a rage, a barrage of abuse. You might, at a young age, realize that you were treated differently to other family members. And what message does that tell you? Perhaps... It tells you that you're not good enough. Perhaps it tells you that you stay and wait in a relationship, waiting for the positive, because you know that your parents can give it because you've witnessed them treating your siblings in a different way. So you know that that's available. You're just waiting for your turn and you stay. And sometimes that is the reason we stay in relationships. 
I think I've said before, I'm not a great believer in people staying in unhealthy marriages for the sake of the children, because all you're teaching your children is that it's okay to put up with this behavior. And what we witness, we either take on as the truth that this is how we should be treated, or we take it on that this is how you treat people. Those early years of our life are crucial and they should be positive. And if you can turn around and even if you've got adult children and change their lives and and say, I'm really sorry, I didn't know any better because you can't do anything if you don't know anything. So if you didn't know any better at the time, you weren't able to do anything. But as you're starting to unravel and unwind and realize that perhaps what you experienced wasn't healthy, perhaps you've carried that on and given that and gifted it, what you've learned, how you witnessed parenting. It might be that you were lucky enough to say, oh my God, I'm not being behaving like my parents. And then one day, the worst thing is when you hear yourself and you sound like your mother or your father, that's an awful wake up call. And that is where the programming starts in the first seven to eight years of our lives. How do we know? How does a child know that is not normal? It only knows if it's not normal, if it's shown it isn't. That scapegoated child is there to uh, make the excuses. They're, they're the ones that ruin it for everyone. This is the reason we can't have anything nice. This is the reason we can never go anywhere because you always do this. A scapegoat is there to disguise the dysfunction within a family unit. And these honest conversations will help you discover the wounds, where they're lodged in your body, and you can start to challenge some of the statements. You don't have to do them all in one go. Just pick the ones that keep coming up. In fact, they'll probably come up as and when you're ready to deal with them. But you can challenge. Take that statement and ask if it's true. Do I ruin it for everyone? Am I the reason that our family can't have anything? Am I a bad girl? Am I a bad boy? Is it always my fault? You can start to pick them apart. And it might be that you initially hear an ex-partner it might be a school teacher, and then you'll start to work through, but you can pick them off one by one as they come up. As you hear yourself talking negatively towards yourself, you can stop, maybe write this statement down. You could even journal on it. That's a really good way of breaking through. Actually, this is rubbish. And I've ha- I know I've used this before, and I probably have on the podcast. I held the belief that I was bipolar for six years uh, because of an incident that happened, and I was keeping my energy really high and I was trying not to be triggered and upset. I felt my energy drop and then I lifted it back up again. God, I've worked with energy for 20, well, most of my life, but um, particularly for the last 25 years. So I was lifting my energy up. And as I was listening to this negative barrage of whatever it was, and the lies that were being told to me, I took a deep breath in, I sent roots down into the earth to ground myself, I took a nice deep breath in, held my shoulders high, and I I was saying to myself, no, you're not taking me down, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to get emotional, and I heard the words, we think you're bipolar, and I challenged them, who's we, took me six years, and I was getting ready to do a live on Facebook in my group, The Divorce Sanctuary, and I can't remember what I was talking about, and it suddenly occurred to me, I was reading some notes, that most of my relationship with this person had been a lie, so if that was a lie, what made me hold this belief that I'm bipolar, and like that, in that instant, 
that went. And the only time I think about that is when I reference it to tell people these statements are like wounds. These ver- these words are wounds to us. I remember somebody phoning me, um, very close to me, and trying to help them solve a problem and they didn't want me to solve that problem. They just wanted to uh, play victim. They screamed down the phone at me and I felt that lodge in my heart like a stabbing. But it was a realisation. Ah, okay, this is what's going on. It's really important to understand and to challenge these things. You were a child when you heard them. Your your parent might have been having a bad day. The teacher might have just had a run-in with another parent and has come into the classroom and you're doing something and they scream at you. You take that on as a wounding that lands in your body like a punch or a kick or a slap. So start looking at the words that you use and how they're constructed. This is another part of that puzzle. You take your statement, I'm really bad at this, or I don't know why I started doing such and such because I never finish anything. And then you take that statement and then you start to hear the person, the voice, the way it's constructed. It will give you an indication as to who said it. And then you can start to deconstruct it and pull it apart from the video on YouTube on, I think it was Sunday I posted it, a talk about dismemberment, which I trained in shamanic healing in 2015, I think. And a technique they use is dismemberment, uh, which is allowing the spirit guides to come in and take you apart piece by piece. And then they heal whatever the trauma is and the wounding that's happened and put you back together as a whole. And you can do this. You can do this dismemberment to these statements and you can do this to yourself to heal these wounds yourself. These are the wounds of our father. I've got a talk coming up and it's called, I've given it the title of Whose Life Is It Anyway? Based on the TV programme, Whose Line Is It Anyway? And it is based on these ancestral wounds that we're passed down. So I'm not excusing their behaviour in any way, shape or form. Not excusing it. But once you can realise that that's their reality, it's easier for you to then challenge what you experienced. And what I find really interesting is when I'm working with people is that when you want to go no contact with a family member, there's a whole different dynamic over going no contact with an ex-lover. And your family and your friends are really supportive if you have separated from someone that they could clearly see was abusive towards you. However, if you've got a family member that does that, it's a really different dynamic. It's as if in a, a way part of them might have to then acknowledge that maybe that was their reality as well. And it wasn't the healthy relationship that they project out and pretend it was. So maybe your role wasn't the scapegoat. Maybe you don't relate to the scapegoat, but you do relate to toxicity. And you can start to heal the wounds that you hold and the things that you believe about yourself, you can start to get a sledgehammer to and smash. If the wound talking and working with wounds is something you're really interested, come and join me on the Rise and Thrive tribe or in, in, not on it, in it, where I'm creating a community that's supportive. There's lots of healing, meditations, journaling prompts every month. 
it's monthly there's no set time that you have to be in there you know you might do three months you might do six months you might do a year there's no contract that ties you in for a period of time i want to have some fun i want to create an environment that's safe a community a tribe that will support each other and give you the tools to do that deep healing and if it isn't for you there's loads of free stuff on youtube on here on my website the divorcesanctuary.com go and have a look and um, i've got a course um, grieving the past the present and the future there's my workbook on creating the essential healing plan and all the essential criteria for the perfect healing plan and some other other things some free downloads that you can get as well as my books so many people said the a to z has actually helped them heal so the a to z of emotional abuse gave them the tools and their inner standing to process what actually happened and to help them move forward. I hope this has been helpful and I'm sending you loads and loads and loads of love until next time.